Blog Talk Radio. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. You can send messages to the show on Twitter at GoForItGan, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. You also can hit me up on Twitter. You can uh, uh, follow me on Twitter. I'll follow you back, and we'll just have a good, good old time. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by IBF welterweight champion Devin Alexander. Devin's going to talk about his upcoming bout against Sean Porter December 7th in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. So, Going to talk to Devin about that. Also going to be joined by Jonathan Casillas of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, after losing their first eight games, are now on a two-game winning streak, so they're playing better football. And we're going to talk to Jonathan about that. Also, we're going to be joined by Cardinals linebacker Sam Ocho, and Sam right now is on our, our IR. Excuse me, broke his fibula, but you know he, he's working his way back, and he is on our IR, so he's out for the season. But he's working his way back, and his Cardinals are 6-4, and four, and they're in the midst of a playoff run right now. The Cardinals, you know, surprising a lot of people, obviously. I mean, I didn't expect the Cardinals to be in the position that they're in right now. But they're 6-4, and four, playing some decent football, and now have an opportunity. Um, you know, they're in the playoff mix, and they have an opportunity, hopefully for them, to continue their run, and they have the Indianapolis Colts tomorrow. So we're going to talk to Sam Ocho about that. I want to start right now in the National Basketball Association. Last night, bad night for NBA, bad night for some of its players. Derrick Rose, just sad, just just sad. I mean, he was on crutches at the end of the game, coming out of the locker room. Um, as of right now, the MRI is scheduled for today. I'm not sure if it happened right at, at any point. but But the reality is, it's a good possibility that Derrick Rose may have torn his right ACL, his right ACL in his knee, the right ACL in his knee. I mean, it's 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 a tough situation for the Chicago Bulls. Obviously, you waited and waited for this for a long time to get this man back, get this man back on the court, get this man back playing football, uh, basketball. But then now, you know, with, with all the things going on, with the issue with his knees now, it's, it's like if it comes back, that it is a torn ACL. Not only is this season done, but you're going to have to think about the future 
are the Chicago Bulls in this franchise. This franchise is going to have to decide what it wants to do moving forward with Derrick Rose, what it wants to do with this team moving forward. Because if you lose Derrick Rose again for the rest of the season, if he has a torn ACL, he's done for the rest of the season. If that were to was the case, if that was the case, then you have to determine what you want to do as a franchise moving forward. You have to determine what you want to do as a franchise moving forward. And as a franchise, I think moving forward, you have to determine now what? What are we going to do? And as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, you have to at this point start thinking about possibly breaking this thing up and starting over. I know Luau Deng is a free agent at the end of the year. He has $14 million. Kirk Heinrich has $4 million. So you got two expiring contracts there that you can possibly do something with. I know Boozer has two years, $32 million, and that's going to be hard to give to somebody. But Deng and Heinrich might not be too hard to give away. I mean, it's an expiring contract. Teams love expiring contracts, and teams – can see if they can do something with that expiring contract. I mean, they love them. The versatility, the the that the you know the flexibility, I should say, that you have with an expiring contract. Teams love them. But I look at this Chicago Bulls team. Obviously, if Derrick Rose is done, you're not winning a title. You're not going to be able to compete with the Miami Heat, the Indiana Pacers, or anybody for that matter in terms of championship contention. Those days of, of, of thinking about winning a championship at this point in Chicago are, are done. It's done. Because the reality, and this is if Derrick Rose is done. This is if Derrick Rose tore his right ACL. But I, I look at the Bulls, man, and it's time to think about breaking this thing down. you got to break this thing down. Break it down to build it back up. Who knows? I mean, you know, I, I'm not, I don't always advocate advocate tanking, but, I mean, you look at this Bulls team, to me, right now the Bulls are coming into this season with the idea that they were going to contend for a world title. They were going to contend for a world title. That was the idea. That was the thinking coming into this season. I didn't think coming into this season that the Bulls had what it took to to win a title. I didn't think they had – the weapons to beat a Miami Heat in a seven-game series. I didn't see it. To me, with the Bulls, it was always about Derrick Rose and everybody else. And now you had your big guy Rose back, and with him back, your thought was, okay, we have Derrick Rose back. Now we can contend for this title. We have our MVP back, our guy, our big guy. We have him back. And – now it's all done if it's true that he's out with a, a torn right ACL. I look at it, and, you know, obviously you look at the early part of the season, averaging 15 points a game. I mean, not typical Derrick Rose numbers, but, again, what can you expect from a guy who's been out essentially for almost two years? You know, he's been missed the whole entire last season, missed all the playoffs against the Philadelphia 76, and then missed the whole next season. So this was a guy, you know, 21 points scored, 11 
2011-2012, 25-point score, 2010-2011. So this was a guy, you know, putting up decent numbers, and obviously 2013-2014 with 10 games into, 10 games played at this point, he's averaging close to 16 points a game, assists are down. Um, so a lot of things are, are down with Derrick Rose at this point. Now, again, he hasn't played in the whole year, so it's understandable. It's understandable that things are down. But the reality is now with the Chicago Bulls moving forward, Rose is gone. And I, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a torn ACL or not, but it looks like it. I mean, it, it looks like it. And I, I would be surprised if, if it's not. I would be surprised if it's not. But the reality is, now that it is, or at least we're going to find out what it is in the, in the upcoming hours, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was an ACL. I wouldn't be surprised at all. And, and I'm, that, I'm thinking that it probably is an ACL. It is tough. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I never wish this on anybody. You know, I'm not a Bulls fan, obviously. But, you know, at the same time, I don't wish this on any of the superstars in the National Basketball Association. And the funny thing is, you know, I'm a lifelong Sixers fan, and when Derrick Rose tore his ACL against the Sixers in that playoff series uh, a couple years ago, I was, I mean, I was, you know, I, I didn't want that. I, I mean, obviously I wanted my Sixers to win, but I didn't want my Sixers to win that way. I, I don't want that. I don't want that. I didn't want that at all. And as much as I love my Sixers and as much as I wanted them to win that particular basketball game, I did not want to see Derrick Rose go out the way he went out against the Sixers with a torn ACL. I didn't want to see it. And I definitely don't want to see it now. But if I'm the Chicago Bulls, you got Dang's expiring contract. See what you can do there. See if you can move it. Break this thing down. Break it down. Heck, see if you can get involved in the Jabari Parker, uh, Andrew Wiggins, Julius Randle sweepstakes. Because you're not winning a title. You'll probably make the playoffs with the roster presently constructed. But in terms of winning a title, and that's what you were trying to do, that's what you built your team to do, I don't see it happening. And I don't think anybody can truly argue with that. And I really didn't, like I said, I didn't really see it happening with Derrick Rose on the roster. So minus Derrick Rose, it's definitely not going to happen. So if you're the Chicago Bulls, again, you have to think about tearing this thing down and, and seeing what you can do moving forward to get your franchise to where you want to get your franchise. Because here's the thing. Even if even if Derrick Rose were to have this ACL, I mean, even if he were to come back, what would he be? What, what would Derrick Rose be after two ACL tears, one in each knee? What would he be? What kind of player would he be? Would he still have the explosive that he's known for? Would he, would, would he still have the athletic ability? Would he still have the speed? Would he still have those things? Would he still have those things? 
And here's the thing. With, with modern medicine, it's always possible. I mean, modern, you, you had Thomas Davis of, uh, of the Carolina Panthers towards ACL three times back on the field. Terrell Thomas, same thing with the New York Giants. So it, it is possible with modern medicine that, you know, Derrick Rose could come back stronger and a better player. It's always the possibility. But we have to understand his skill set. His skill set is predicated on his, his calling card. What, what makes him successful is his speed. It's his athleticism. It's his ability to get to the basket. Those are the things that make Derrick Rose Derrick Rose. If he loses some of those things, then the reality is, and, and, and it's, it is what it is, he might not be the same type of player. He may not be the same type of player. You could argue after 10 games that he's not the same player after tearing the left ACL. Again, only 10 games in, but the, the numbers are down. The numbers are down. So what's going to happen with Derrick Rose? If the ACL is torn, which many believe that it is, if it's torn, and we'll see what the MRI says, and hopefully the MRI says something different. I'm hoping. I, I'm wishing that it says something different. But if it doesn't, if it does say torn ACL, if you're the Chicago Bulls, you got some decisions to make. You got some big time decisions to make in terms of what you want to do with your franchise moving forward. Your best player tore the ACL in 2011, tore the ACL now, possibly. So you have a decision to make. Obviously, a big part of ability is durability. And if you're tearing both of your ACLs, you're not durable. And so your durability comes into question. And if you if you can't count on a superstar to be out there for you 70-plus games and into the playoffs, then the reality is he can't be a, a prominent part of your roster. You have a decision to make. And I think the decision at this point, as far as I'm concerned, if that ACL is torn, you have to start thinking about scrapping this whole thing and rebuilding this whole thing. Retooling, I should say, because the reality is if you can get your hands on one of those big three, Randall, Parker, Wiggins, if you can get your hands on one of those three, then anything is possible. And it can change the fortunes of your franchise. I mean, Derek, Derek Rose is still a young player, obviously still a young guy, a young guy. But the thing about it is ACLs are ACLs. It's a major knee injury, major. He's only 25 years old, so I don't want to count him out at the age of 25. I don't. But it's not looking good from the standpoint of his durability, from the standpoint of the possibility of tearing his other ACL. We'll see what happens, but the Bulls need to think about their future. This does not only affect this year. I think it affects the direction of this franchise moving forward in the future. You have to determine what you want to do. Can I build around Derrick Rose, yes or no? Do I need to break this down, move a Luau Dang, try to move a Kirk Heinrich, both who have expiring contracts, $18 million in expiring contracts? Do I see what I can try to do with Carlos Boozer? Probably going to be hard to move that one who has two years, $32 million left. That's going to be hard to move. Do I try to move that? 
So you've got to decide what you're going to do in terms of moving certain players. That's a decision for the Chicago Bulls, and that's the decision they have to make moving forward if Derrick Rose has what many believe is another torn ACL. Also last night in the National Basketball Association, Mark Gasol of the Memphis Grizzlies, he went down. And, you know, that right now we're waiting for an MRI in terms of Mark Gasol. But it didn't look good either. I mean, both of these were non-contact injuries, and it, it didn't look good. It, it didn't look good at all for both of them. You wonder now. You wonder, and you hope, you hope that Marcus Saul can try and will still be healthy. You hope that he can still come back from this this season if you're the Memphis Grizzlies. But you're a team now at this point. If you don't have Marcus Saul, you have some things that you need to think about as well because obviously you become a much different team. Obviously, you become a much different team. Marcus Saul, arguably one of the better centers in this game. Some have argued that Marcus Saul is the best center in the game. I'm not going to go with that argument, but some have made that argument. And there are numbers to, to sort of back you up. 16-7, and seven, this guy was averaging before this injury. And the Grizzlies were playing good basketball before they lost last night, but they were on a four-game win streak and were playing better after getting off to a slow start this season. But now, with Marcus All possibly out, you have a decision you need to make if you're the Memphis Grizzlies in terms of where you want to go with your franchise. I mean, they had to make a money decision last season of moving Rudy Gay. I mean, if you want to talk about purely production, Obviously, keeping Rudy Gay would have been the right move. Who knows? They kept Rudy Gay. Who knows what could have happened? Who knows? That that scoring on the outside, that explosive player on the outside, that guy who can get a big-time basket for you when you need it, a guy that can beat you off the dribble. That's what Rudy Gay brought to the table for the Memphis Grizzlies. But And they missed him. I mean, when it, when it came up, obviously they were able to get by OKC and uh, they got by the Clippers and they got by OKC. But a big reason, you know, for them um, getting by OKC was Kevin Durant being absent. Kevin Durant, not Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook being on the sidelines with a knee injury. That was one of the big reasons why the Memphis Grizzlies were able to make it to the Western Conference Finals. That was one of the reasons. And Lionel Hollins, who did a great job, but is out of a job at this point, but he did a great job for the Memphis Grizzlies. Took them to places that they've never been. But again, when they went up against the Spurs, they missed what Rudy Gay brought to the table. But you can also argue the other way. The Memphis Grizzlies have had their most success when Rudy Gay was gone. I mean, the year before that, they were able to, uh, two years ago, they were able to beat the San Antonio Spurs in the first round of the playoffs without Rudy Gay. And last season, they were able to get to the Western Conference Finals without Rudy Gay. So you can argue they've had their most success without Rudy Gay. But you also can argue that what he brought to the table is kind of what they're missing at this point right now. He was a closer. He was a guy that gave you, gave you an opportunity. 
He was a closer. He was a close. He had closer like abilities with the way he can beat you off the dribble, the way he can shoot the basketball off the dribble. He had closer like abilities, and now you're missing that. You don't have that no longer with Rudy Gay off to Toronto. So this is not a good day for the Grizzlies, not a good day for the Chicago Bulls, and also not a good day for the Golden State Warriors. Andre Iguodala heard a pop within his, within his hamstring yesterday. At this point, it's a strained hammy. We'll see what the MRI says, whether he, he tore it or not. But here's the one thing about this injury. He, st- he will be able to come back this season. He will be able to come back this season. And he's going to be out for some time if he actually did pop that hamstring. If he tore that hamstring, he's going to be out for some time. But he will be back this season. You can bank on that. He still will be back. And one thing about Andre Guadal, I mean, he, he was, he is, before that injury last night, a very, very durable player. He is the model of durability over the years. I mean, Andre Iguodala has been a very durable player. And so to see him get hurt last night was a little more was a little surprising because again, this guy has been the model of durability over the years. Been the model of durability over the years. So losing him is going to be definitely tough for the Golden State Warriors. He was their prize free agent acquisition last season in the offseason. He was that, that a big-time acquisition for those boys, big-time acquisition for those boys. And, and I say that, and I talked about uh, Andre Iguodala being the pillar of health over the years. I mean, from two, I mean, 2004 to 2006, he played all 82 games for the Philadelphia 76ers, played uh, 76 games in 2006-2007, and then from 2008 to 2000, excuse me, from 2007 to 2010, Andre Godala played 82 games. So this guy has been the model of durability over the year and played 80 games last season for the Golden State Warriors. So this has been a very durable basketball player over the years. Andre Iguodala has been very durable. So to see him go down is kind of surprising. But one thing about his injury in comparison to what the possibilities could be for Gasol and Derrick Rose is that he can come back, which is a good thing for the Golden State Warriors, a very good thing for the Golden State Warriors. But we'll see. It was a rough night in the NBA for fans in Chicago, fans in Golden State, and fans in Memphis. Rough, rough night. But the reality is we have to see what happens. We have to see what the MRI says. If the MRI says torn ACL, Derrick Rose. If the MRI says torn ACL, Marcus Saul. That changes the landscape in the Eastern and Western conferences. That changes the landscape. The landscape has been changed. If those things, in terms of ACL injuries for Gasol and Rose, are true. I want to go to college football, and I want to go to Jameis Winston and his whole situation with the allegation that's out there of rape. And at this point, DNA 
the DNA that was in the young lady's underwear does match Jameis Winston. At this point, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, because maybe they had consensual sex. That's all that tells me that they've had sex at this point. Now, whether it was consensual, whether it was rape, now we're, 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 that's for up for debate at this point. That's up for debate. Now, the attorney for the young lady who are levying, who is levying the allegations against James Winston, she said, quote, the consent defense is too little, too late, and clearly reactive damage control by Winston's attorney. After learning the DA, DNA excuse me, matched his client. Again, this is obviously going to come down more than likely to the ultimate he said, she said. And that's going to be hard to prove. That's going to be hard to prove. And you look at it, back when, it, when, when she made the allegations last year, um, she described the attacker to be at 5'9", 5'11". Winston is not that. But the DNA does match. The DNA that was in the young lady's underwear does match James Winston. The timing of it all, obviously, the timing of it all is, is a little suspicious from the standpoint now this guy is having a Heisman Trophy type season. This guy is undefeated. I mean, this guy is playing big time college football right now. He's playing big time football. And the allegations come out now when things are going, when he's at the top. Pretty much. He's at the top. And another thing to, to think about, another, another thing to think about, as the 10-0 10 Seminoles rank number two in the country at this point, and they have a home game against Idaho today. But another thing to think about, if, and this is Florida State policy, if, Jameis Winston is charged with the felony. He cannot play. Now, there is stipulations within all that. There is stipulation in all that, and according to the policy, quote, extraordinary circumstances as determined by the administration. So this is something also to look at. Let's just say Jameis Winston Let's say he goes by, they win, they are undefeated, they get to BCS, uh, they're number two, and, number two and number one in the BCS, and they are selected to go to the BCS title game. Let's just say all that happens. Then let's just say they come back and charge Winston with a felony. At that point, at that point, if you're Florida State, does those extraordinary circumstances as determined by the administration, does that come into play? Do those circumstances, do those extraordinary circumstances as determined by the administration come into play at that point? That's something to think about. 
And if it does, all that opened Florida State up to various criticisms. I think no matter what they do in terms of, let's just say they, 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 they cite the extraordinary circumstances as determined by the administration. Let's just say they cite that. You're going to have a lot of people coming at them. A whole bunch of women's group are probably going to be coming after Florida State. Now, let's just say you, you don't cite that and you say you stick to the policy, you're charged with a felony, you're suspended. Let's just say that happens. Then you're going to have those on the other side saying innocent till proven guilty. These allegations were made. These, I mean, this is a long time ago, and these allegations are coming back up again. And now the woman is cooperating now. At one point she wasn't cooperating. There was talk at one point that cops said to her that, you know, what you're up against if you, you go forward with all these things. And there's a few ways to look at that. You can look at it from them warning her and telling her, look, you, I hope you're telling the truth there. Or those, you can also look at it from the standpoint, well, now they're trying to tell her, you know what, back away, let's not do this. Protecting possibly Winston. A lot of ways to look, a couple ways to look at it from that standpoint. But all oh, this is going to be very interesting how this plays out. I hope. I pray that the allegations against Winston are false. I hope that this never happened. I do. I hope that it never happened. But I don't know. It's going to come down to the ultimate he said, she said. It's going to be an ultimate he said, she said. And unless you, know, you have other witnesses coming out to the contrary. But this is, a little, this is a kid here, man. This is a kid. So not only he has the pressures of being a big-time quarterback for a big-time university, not only does he have the pressure of being 10-0 and the possibilities of going to the BCS title game, but now he has something hovering over his head with the possible, uh, a possible rape charge coming at him. So he has a lot of things right now. And he's a young man, a young man. So at some point you wonder, will he be able, will he be able to, to, to deal with the pressures? Will he be able to deal with the pressure that's coming along with all that's coming along and all that's coming at him? I mean, like I said, your team, number two in the country, your team at this point slated to go to the BCS title game at this point. You're only 19 years old. 19 years old, that's it. He's only 19 years old. So he has a big-time program on his back. He, he, he has uh, been a quarterback for a big-time program on his back. And, and he has a rape allegation that's out there on his back. There's a lot of things on his back right now. Will it affect him? Will it affect him? We'll see. We shall see. And let me read part of the statement made by the attorneys for the young lady making the accusations against Jameis Winston. And again, right now it's just 
an accusation. It's just an accusation. Once again, the victim and her family are compelled to provide a statement and lay the DNA results validating the victim's identification of Winston as the perpetrator and Mr. Jantz's assertion of consent. And Mr. Jantz is the attorney for James Winston. Jansen stated that he was not surprised by the DNA results because the encounter was consensual. However, Jansen allowed the media frenzy to go on for a week as to the accuracy of Winston's identity, thereby per- perpetrating the matter and keeping his client in the spotlight for an extra week unnecessarily. Jensen said that the DNA by James Winston does does match Winston. But Jensen said that and stated that the DNA leak damaged his client's reputation. Why would a consensual encounter damage his client's reputation? However, a rape would certainly damage his client's reputation. I mean, this out here, regardless of what happens with this whole situation, and that's just parts and uh, bits and pieces of the statement, and I paraphrased some of it as well, but this out here, looking at these allegations, and, and these are tough allegations out there. You know, no matter what happens here, if it's if he's charged or not charged, I think people will have suspicions of Winston for a period of time. Not going to say it's going to be forever, but for a period of time. You look at, um, you look at a Kobe Bryant, and you look what happened to him and the rape charge that he had a few years ago. We forget about it. We forget about it. We forget all about it. We forget all about Kobe Bryant and what happened in Colorado many years ago. We forgot about it. We have forgotten about it. So, yes, at this point, if the charges were to be to drop, charges were to be dropped, excuse me, we would, at, there would be a little bit of speculating for a little time period. But all in all, over time, especially if Winston is producing, especially if Winston um, doesn't do anything else, we're probably going to forget about it. That's just the reality of the situation. We're, we're going to forget. We are going to forget should be very interesting to see how this thing plays out moving forward. Big games in the National Football League tomorrow. Big football games tomorrow. A lot of games. You have Manning and Brady and those two getting back together. How exciting that always is when those two titans of the National Football League, two of the best quarterbacks in the National Football League, two of the best quarterbacks in the history of this game. It's always exciting when those two quarterbacks do battle. Always exciting when those two quarterbacks do battle. But it should be very interesting tomorrow, very exciting tomorrow. Manny, Brady, great football tomorrow. A lot of great football tomorrow. We're going to talk to a guy when we come back. We're going to talk to a guy and his team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now, on a two-game win streak after losing their first eight games are playing much better football when we come back, we're going to be joined by linebacker Jonathan Casillas. You're listening to Go Forward and Block Talk Radio. 
Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean anything when the playoffs come. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all. That's not Robbie. That's called brother. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Okay. Hey, what up? It's Corey Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! Thank you, sir. You got it, brother. Have a go, man. Okay. Hey, what up? That. It's Corey Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! Thank you, sir. You got it, brother. Have a... Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat, and the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean it. anything when the playoffs come. When the playoffs come, it doesn't <laughs> mean anything. I was, trying to throw uh, you, you know what? I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you, you, you have a pedigree. <laughs> We see what you can do. We seen it. I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're Come capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not Roxy. That's called brother. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> And we're back. Still working to get Jonathan Casillas on, and we're going to try to get him on uh, in the next few minutes. But back to what I was saying, and moving on from Winston and going to the National Football League at this point, uh, a lot of great football tomorrow. No more important game than what we're going to see uh, with the Broncos and the Patriots on Sunday night football. I mean, the Broncos, I mean, they got to be tired of being on Sunday night football. They were on Sunday night football last week. So they got to be a little tired of being on Sunday Night Football. But it's going to be an interesting game. It's going to tell us some things about Peyton Manning and his ability to, to handle the cold weather. It's going to be cold tomorrow. It's going to be cold tomorrow in Foxborough. And so Manning's going to have to prove some things. Obviously, he doesn't have the arm strength that he once had many moons ago. He doesn't have the same type of arm strength that he's had many moons ago. 
It's cold. It's going to be cold in Foxborough. Very cold. But I think, and I look at this game, and you look at Peyton Manning, two and nine all time against New England on the road. And, you know, so you look at what's going to happen tomorrow. Obviously, I think looking at it, you look at the Denver Broncos, they are the better football team as far as I'm concerned. They are the better football team. They are the better football team. And, and you know, the, the, the Broncos, I mean, the Patriots, excuse me, don't and are not the same football team that they were many years, well, even last year for that matter, especially on the offensive side of football. I mean, they're, they're totally different football team than they were a year ago on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, last season, you know, you had Hernandez, you had Wes Welker. And that's another big storyline, Wes Welker coming back to New England after what happened in New England. Welker's return to New England. And you wonder what this means to Wes Welker. Because I look at this game, and Welker, to me, is going to want to prove some things to a lot of people. Mainly a lot of people on that mainly a lot of player, uh, coaches, I should say, on that sideline. Specifically, Bill Belichick. He's going to want to prove some things to them. He's got to prove some things to them. They let him go. And this was a guy who, before, you know, it was a guy who was playing some big time football. Still playing football at a fairly high level. Do they miss Wes Welker? Sure. Who wouldn't miss at this point of the season looking at Wes Welker? Who wouldn't miss 61 receptions, 648 yards, nine touchdowns? Who wouldn't miss that? Who would not miss that? So, of course, they miss Wes Welker. Of course, they miss some of the things he brings to the table. Of course, they miss that. And you look at Welker over the years, He's just been the model of consistency and production for the Patriots. I mean, 2007, 112, 112 receptions. 2008, 111 receptions. 2009, 123 receptions. 2010, 86 receptions. 2011, 122 receptions. 2012, 118 receptions. So... The model of consistency is Wes Welker. He is the model of consistency. He has been consistent throughout, throughout his time with the New England Patriots. And he's keeping up that consistency with the Denver Broncos. He had a concussion last week, but all signs are pointing to him playing tomorrow night. So he should be a go for the Denver Broncos. So this game is going to mean a lot to him, definitely tomorrow. This is going to be personal tomorrow for him. I, I believe it. This game is going to mean a lot to this guy, Wes Welker. It's going to mean a lot to him. It's going to mean so much to him. And you look at Peyton Manning. 
numbers in cold weather football games. Numbers in cold weather games. Peyton Manning, he's two and eight. Two and eight. In which the game temperature is below freezing, thirty two or below. Oh and two in any game below twenty degrees, and two and five in games between twenty and twenty nine degrees. Obviously it gets a little better when the temperature but once the temperature gets up thirty over thirty two, he's six and five. And where the temperature is third, between 30 and 39, excuse me, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. He's 6-5 and five in games where, temperature, where the temperature is between 30 and 39. 6-5. and five. And He's also 11-3 and three when the temperature is between 40 and 49 degrees. So he, he likes it, obviously, above freezing. He's 8-3 and three in games where the game time temperature is, is below 40 degrees. So, obviously, we see a different quarterback when it gets cold. We, we see a much different quarterback in the cold. Different player. See a different player when it's cold. And that's what we've seen from Peyton Manning. A different player when it's cold. And it's going to be cold in New England tomorrow. And you wonder what that means. What does that mean? What does it mean? What is it going to mean when the temperature is cold? When the temp- when, it, when it's cold, what's it mean? What's it going to mean? Is it going to be much different? Are we going to see a much different Peyton Manning? Are we going to see a much different Peyton Manning in the cold tomorrow? I mean, right now, the, the temperature, 28 degrees tomorrow. 28 is the high tomorrow. 28 degrees is going to be the high tomorrow in Boston. 28 degrees. 19 is the low. 10% chance. Of some kind of precipitation. Winds, 28 miles per hour. So it's going to be a little bit of a mess tomorrow. It's going to be a little bit of a mess tomorrow in Foxborough. It's going to be a mess. And we'll see how Peyton Manning does with the mess. That's going to be in Foxborough tomorrow. It's going to be cold, 28 degrees, and, you know, 19 is the low. So by the time it gets dark, it's going to be a lot closer to 19 than it's going to be to that 28. And then you have the precipitation, 10% chance of that. So we don't know what that's going to be. Probably if it's 28 degrees, it's probably going to be in a form of snow. So it should be interesting how Peyton Manning handles that. I think Peyton Manning is going to handle it well. And I think that the Broncos as a whole are going to handle it well. I think the Broncos win tomorrow. I think the Broncos win tomorrow. I really do. I see the Broncos winning tomorrow. And I see the Broncos 
continuing their dominance. I mean, and you look at last week, going back for a second to what we saw with the Chiefs and the Denver Broncos. What we saw in that particular football game is what happens when you have a quarterback like Peyton Manning and the other team has a quarterback like Alex Smith. The difference in quarterbacks, the difference a big-time quarterback makes. Alex Smith is not going to hurt you, but does he really help you in terms of winning a title? Peyton Manning is not going to hurt you, but he definitely helps you. And that's what we saw last week. We saw a better team in Denver. We saw a more complete team with the Denver Broncos offensively. That's what we saw. We saw a better football team with the Denver Broncos. That's what we saw. That's what we saw, a better football team. Kansas City Chiefs, my question was last week, who's really real, the Broncos or the Chiefs? And I think my question was answered, the Broncos are really real at this point. But we'll see what happens moving forward. I want to switch gears now. I'm about to bring in a guy who has a big fight coming up. Big fight coming up in Brooklyn on December 7th. Devin Alexander, we're going to bring him in now. Let's bring him in now. IBF welterweight champion, the one, the only, Devin Alexander. Devin, how are you, man? What's going on, Paul, my man? How's it going? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Oh, man, thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having me. You know I'm always happy to be on the show. No doubt, no doubt. And, And Devin... December 7th, Sean Porter. First off, how's training camp been going for you? Uh, training camp is excellent, excellent. Um, as you know, I was scheduled to fight Brooke. If, I mean, not Brooke, uh, Mercan at first. Right. But that fell through because of, you know, I don't know what. But um, they came over Sean Porter. Training is going good. Um, I'm ready to go. I'm in top shape. Tremendous shape, actually. You guys have seen me put on a performance December 7th. Now, I know you wanted big fights, and Khan would have been a big fight. Now, as you said, you're facing Sean Porter. What do you feel like you need to do to beat Sean Porter? Well, he's 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 a typical average fighter. I don't see anything special about him. You know, he's, he's a tough kid um, who's hungry. Um who has limited skills, um, right. but he's going to have a lot of heart. He's going to be there to fight. He's a fighter, but nothing special, and that's what he brings to the table. Um, you know, I saw these types of fighters before. He jumps in wild and jumps out, and, you know, he jumped. I mean, he's just a wild fighter, and I just got to, you know, be prepared for that. And, man, my coach came over with a tremendous, tremendous game plan for this fight. Man, you go see me implement it. You know, I don't see anything special about Sean Porter. Though. Now you're talking your coach, Kevin Cunningham. He said a while back that on December seventh, you won't be very hard to find. There won't be a lot of dancing. Is that the game plan for December seventh? For sure. I mean, I, I figure. I mean, I'm gonna be smart. Of course, I'm gonna be smart, and I'm gonna use my my yeah, my thinking ability. Um, but I'm not gonna be out there boxing and boxing and running around, you know, because Sean Porter does that, you know. 
he 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 makes unnecessary movements, you know, in the ring. I mean, he just wastes all type of energy, and you know, it, it's for no reason, you know. And that's why I say, you know, he's kind of confused about his, you know, um, identity in the ring, and you know, I mean, I I just don't know. That's why I say he's limited. But you know, this the game plan is 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 set forth. Um, my coach in it already got it. Um. We're just going to, you know, make a statement this fight again, like we did with Purdy, um, make a tremendous right. statement. And then af- after after this fight, you know, they can't deny us anymore, I don't think, because where are you going to go? It- right. Now, looking at it and, and looking at your situation, do you feel like now that you almost have to be exciting, you almost have to be an action-packed type fighter in order for the public to respect you? For sure, until you get in a in uh, a position like Floyd Mayweather, and then you can right. do what you want to do. You know, you can box outside, you can, you know, be boring, but they'll still come see you because they want to see you lose, or you beating right. all these top guys, and you know they 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 want to see you lose. So um, it it goes for some people. You know, right now, you know, you're trying to make a name for yourself. You're trying to get the fans behind you. You you want to be exciting. You want to be. Um, able to say, wow, I want to see him fight such and such, such and such. And you got to be exciting. So the position right. I'm in right now is to be exciting and uh, makes people want more and want me to fight the best fights out there. So um, to answer that, yeah, you want to be exciting now. But, you know, and you want to be exciting, period. You know, this is your legacy. Every time you go in the ring, this is your legacy. This is what you leave behind. And you want to give it your all and your best. So I don't have no problem being exciting. Now, how do you be exciting and also be responsible at the same time? Well, I mean, that's what I'm good at. I mean, I, people underestimate my ability in the ring. You know, I can I can box outside the ring. I can stay there. I can slip. I can roll. I, can, I don't have to run. I can be exciting and be smart at the same time. And that's something a lot of fighters don't have, you know, and I'm just happy to have it. So, um you, you you just be smart, you know. Your reflexes got to be there. Your 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 quickness got to be there. You got to be able to come back and fire without running, um, right. running or boxing outside. You know, you want to stay there and be smart, keep the defense tight, and you'll be okay. You know, but some people, some guys just can't do that, and I'm just happy I can. We're talking to IBF welterweight champion Devin Alexander, and Devin, a lot of trash talking going on between the two camps. Sean Porter's father said once upon a time that you fought Sean Porter when you were 10 and he was 8, and which is kind of impossible because you're only 8 months older than Porter. <laughs> but but what, what happened on that day? Well, well, we, we, we let him stick his feet in his mouth all, you know, all he wants. You know, I don't know where he gets this from. You know, I don't know. Me and my coach is baffled by the accusations that he's, He's he's throwing out. I mean, I'm confused. When my coach told me he said that, I was confused because, you know, I'm not that much older than Sean Porter at all. And, you know, it's contradicting, you know, ages and everything. What happened is I fought him in the Ohio State Fair. That was my first tournament I ever went to. It was a tournament, a big tournament, actually. Um, I went and I beat Sean Porter, and it was legal. I don't know what – I don't even know where he's getting at, getting – the idea for him, you know, um, you know, my brother fought his bigger brother and beat him, and I beat him 
Sean Porter, when he was little, and that was that. You know, it was all legal, it was all fair, and um, now he comes up with this accusation, which I don't know what for, but I don't know. I guess he, he got to say something. I, I I just don't know. I don't know. So is it safe to say at this point the Alexanders own the Porters? Nah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you beat him up. You beat up him. You beat him up oh, back oh, when yeah, you were it, younger. It, 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 we was younger, and, and I did get the best <laughs> of him, you know. And, of course, you know, we got the big gloves on. But all in all, I'm still want to know. And we're going to keep it keep it like that December 7th, you know. He's coming in the ring knowing that I beat him, and he know I can I got the capability of beating him, and I can beat him again. Now, obviously you're fighting Sean Porter at this point, but as you said before, you were supposed to fight Amir Khan. What what happened with Amir Khan? Why did that fight not happen? I I don't know. I don't know. Um, there's talks that he might fight Mayweather, might not fight Mayweather. I guess they're holding off to see if Floyd wants to fight him. You know, I, I don't know, and... He just said that, I mean, I'm hearing that, you know, he just didn't want to take that risk of fighting me and losing and not possibly, you know, just Mayweather sweepstakes. So, you know, it's a lot of rooms around going around, but I'm a fighter, you know, and whoever they put in front of me, that's who just has to get it. And that's what I'm doing. I told you, Paul, a year ago, a couple years ago, that I'm going to continue to beat these guys, whoever they put in front of me. I'm on a mission. I'm in my zone, and nobody's going to beat me. So whoever they put it in front of me, it doesn't matter. Now, do you you think it's – we don't know if it's going to happen, Con and Mayweather, but do you think it's almost – and business is business and boxing is boxing, but do you you think it's kind of ridiculous that Amir Khan, who hasn't beat any type of significant welterweight, would be even in the running for the pound-for-pound King Floyd Mayweather? Well, I mean – only thing it could be is the money overseas. That's the only thing right. it could be. He's not as big as they make him out to be in America. I mean, he's not. But, you know, for his overseas, he does bring that um, overseas money. So um, if they want to take it that way and say that that's the business part about it, then, okay, I understand that. But, you know, for his boxing and you know, resumes and, you know, legitimate opponents, you know, he's not. You know, he's not what, um, you know, somebody Floyd fight who's been, who lost two of his last four fights. You know, I, I just don't get it. The only only thing I can see why he would take it is because of the money and, you know, they want to draw the – they want to have the money there, and that's about it. So, um but I can't worry about that, you know. I mean, if it happens, I think, you know, it's not going to do as well. People are going to, you know, um, talk about it because they're going to be like, American, what for, you know. And, right. Um, but that's on them, though. You know, I can only do what I can do and keep moving. We're talking to IBF welterweight champion Devin Alexander. Now, how close were you to actually going to Dubai, Dubai excuse me, and fighting Amir Khan? Was that close at all? No, nah, it wasn't close. It was just talk. You know, it was just talk. Right. You know, we we do that. It has to be, you know, you know, A-Rap money has to be that big money because we knew they were going to come up for money. 
um, that we was asking for. We we wanted to keep it in the states, and we wanted to because we champion. Back in the old days, right. you know, the champion didn't travel. He traveled. He stayed at home turf and fought fought where he he won his titles at. So, um, you know, I'm old school like that. I I think that challenges should always come to you know that man's backyard try to take it take his championship. You know. And then you can right. be called a legitimate champion. So Definitely. Um, we was never, you know, even thinking about going to Dubai, really. Now, I look at you and I see some of the guys that you faced. You faced Bradley, Matisse, Maidana. I mean, you dominated Marcos Maidana, absolutely dominated him. And after the fight, you had Maidana talking about going back down to 140. But I, I look <laughs> at all these things and – to me, you don't get the respect that you deserve. You fight anybody, and you've beaten some very good boxers throughout the course of your career. Does it bother you that you don't get the respect that I believe you truly deserve? It, it, it does bother me a little bit, but, little bit, but I don't let it get to me. Um, my time is coming. My time is coming, and I can rest assured you, you know, as long as I keep beating these guys, they can't deny me no longer. But it's sort of frustrating because – you got to see these key recyclers and guys I beat. You know, Matisse was, was on a big pay-per-view, you know, and I right. and I beat him. Medina, you know, recycling him and trying to re trying to make him out of a killer, and I I killed the killer, you know, and he didn't win a round. So, right. um, I, I just have to continue to win, continue to win, and um, you know, my management gonna handle that, you know, and, I, and they can't deny me no longer, you know, just keep winning. But my time is coming. I'm patient, you know. Um, all you got to do is be patient, and time will come. Keep winning and train hard. Now, if you beat oh. Porter, will you have to face Kel Brook? I know he's a mandatory. Will you have to go after Brook after Porter? Well, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I wasn't even, I, I mean, I'm not up to date with that, a mandatory or whatever. I'm not up to date, but. You know, if it does come around, we just have to see what happens. And doesn't matter who I fight. You know, um, Brooke wasn't calling my name out. He hasn't been talking about me at all. So um, I still think he don't want to fight. But if that happens, bring him on too. You know, we'll beat him too and get the mandatory out the way. But right. it's whoever, you know, whoever. I, I believe in my ability and... I believe in my skill, and I'm just getting better and better. Now, I heard you say some time ago that your slick southpaw style could give the great Floyd Mayweather trouble. Tell us why. Well, because, you know, it's coming from a different angle, and he's not used to seeing it. You know, the the southpaw that he did fight, you know, gave him some trouble. But they wasn't consistent. And speed kills. I think my legs are fresher. I think my skill. I'm faster. Uh, I'm I'm smarter. I'm not gonna keep doing letting him hit, hit me with the same dumb shot that he hit these guys with over and over, back to back. I'm I'm smarter in the ring, and he knows that, you know. And when I fight him, I'll be twice as smarter, you know. When it's time for me to fight Floyd, I fight Floyd. I'm not chasing Floyd, but when I fight Floyd, I think it's gonna be the right time, and it's, he's gonna be right there for the taking. Now, a lot of you, you're saying and you're talking about outsmarting 
one of the, the, the a boxing genius, one of the, the, the possibly one of the smartest boxers in the history of the sport. Mm-hmm. You can out slick and outsmart Floyd Mayweather. Well, it's all about dictating. You know, I, he let see people let him bully his way through a victory. He let people he he he, he, he gets into people's heads. You know, people let him dictate what's going on in the ring. You know, they let him uh, pot shot him and sit back and let him and watch what he does. You know, you have to be in control. You have to establish your jab. You have to do what you have to do. Your implement your game plan and not worry about what he does. You know, and that's that that's his success because his opponents is not worrying about worrying about their game plan. They worrying about what Floyd's going to do, and they getting hit at the same time. So. You can't worry about that. You got to do what you got to do and believe your skill and go get it. We're talking to IBF welterweight champion Devin Alexander. Now, Devin, last time you were in Brooklyn, you beat Randall Bailey, and we're going back to the Porter fight now, but you beat Randall Bailey. And in that fight, it, it wasn't the most pleasing fight, aesthetically pleasing fight. It wasn't, it wasn't a very crowd-pleasing fight. Do you feel like now, going back to Brooklyn, that you almost have to prove something to that crowd and show who the real Devin Alexander is? <laughs> well, well, I got, I got to say to that, you know, styles make fights. If you got a guy that's not engaging, you got a, you got a guy that's not going to fight and just sitting back and th- want to throw just one bomb, then, you know, it makes for an ugly fight. If he was willing to engage, right. I think it would have been a better fight than what it was, you know. Me being smart and, you know, looking out for the right hand, you know, probably made it, you know, a little more subtle and a little more quiet than what I usually do. But, you know, I was engaging, but he just wasn't engaging. So um, me going back to, you know, Barclays is good. And I got an opponent where, you know, he's going to come to fight, which is good, and he's going to be right there for me to hit him all night. So I like that. How's the hand at this point? You you had the problem with the hand after the Purdy fight. How's the hand at this point for you? The hand's good. We did two months of therapy, and um, we've been wrapping it tremendously good, and the hand is 100% healed. You know, I'm throwing it like a rocket. Um, okay. My spawn pointers can't see it. You know, it's, it's coming so fast and accurate, and it's good. So, you know, I just... Continue to um, treat it every now and again, make sure the problem will come back, you know, and I'll be okay. And, and speaking of sparring, the Porter camp has been talking how basically they have fought uh, uh, better fighters in sparring than you. I mean, how do you feel when you hear those types of things from the Porter camp? I, I heard that they confused, that they confused. Um, I, I heard one minute they in California, the next minute they back in Vegas. Uh, the next minute they spawn with a different spawn partner. The next minute they spawn with this guy. They're confused. They're, they're out there lead. You know, they're not used to this spotlight. Um, and it's going to be exposed, you know, uh, come December 7th. You know, these guys are, you know, rookies at this because, what team just travels back to back, spawn here, spawn there? It's very amateurish, you know, and um, they definitely get exposed. Um, I don't care who you spawn, you know. If you, I, I saw the spawn spawn Andrade, who's six seven, 
I mean, you know, tall, you get my point, but right. um, I'm not tall. You know, I'm I'm faster than Andrade, and I'm, I'm giving a different look than Andrade, you know, so um, whoever who, who these sports is not going to get it ready for the fight, you know, ready for right. me because I, I bring a different, different, you know, skill set, and he's not going to be prepared for that. We're talking to IBF welterweight champion Devin Alexander. Devin, switching gears now for one moment. Big fight, Pacquiao, Rios. Your thoughts? Who, who wins that fight? Well, I can I can go with no no um, fighter because you know Brandon Rios is my boy. I grew up with him, and okay. um, we used to go to the tournaments together. So I can't count him out. And Pacquiao, you just never know how he's going to respond with that knockout. So. Um, we just have to see, you know. It's going to be a good fight, you know, and um, this is a good one. Too close to call. It's definitely going to be a good fight, and we'll see if Pacquiao has truly and fully recovered from that knockout by Marquez. Devin, big fight December 7th in Brooklyn. I need a prediction. Is is this going to be a knockout for you? What's going to happen December 7th? I predict the knockout is going to be there, and I got to take advantage of it. You know, I predict that, you know, this is going to be a brutal beating. Um, I'm going to expose his skill, um, his, his skill level, and it's going to be right there. So I'm just going to be patient and do what I got to do, follow my game plan, and we'll see. Knockout? You got a round for me? <laughs> um, You know, if, if he's still right there about a seven or eight round, you know, we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to press him, and we're going to try to get him out of there at 19. So about seventh or eighth round, possibly. Yeah. Okay. All right. So seventh, seventh or eighth round, I'll write it down, I'll put it in my memory bank so I can make sure when the seventh <laughs> or eighth round comes around, I know that it's about to end. So we'll see December 7th on Showtime, Devin Alexander, Sean Porter, should be a great night of boxing at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Devin, a pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck in the upcoming I fight against Porter. And, and as always, man, let's do this again. Well, you know, you already know I'm happy to come on the show, my man. Any time for you. You my man. He is my man, Devin Alexander. Devin Alexander has a big fight coming up against Sam Porter. I'm um, Sean Porter, excuse me. And it, I mean, it's a fight for him if he can get it by. If he can get by Porter, which I think he will, he has an opportunity for his sake, hopefully, to get some big names in the welterweight division. Amir Khan's a big name. Wasn't able to make that happen. Wasn't nothing he did. It was just a reality that Amir Khan. And if you're Amir Khan, you know you're doing the right thing in my mind to avoid Devin Alexander, so you can possibly get your hands on Floyd Mayweather. Switching gears to the National Football League now. Indianapolis Colts, Arizona Cardinals have a big game tomorrow. You have the Cardinals now battling for their playoff lives, 6-4, and four, right behind the San Francisco 49ers. They are tied, but the 49ers hold the tiebreaker. But there's a lot of football left to be played. Let's bring in a guy now who is a part of the Arizona Cardinals, linebacker Sam Acho. Sam, how are you, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Oh, glad to be here. Now, Sam, let's go. You, you broke your fibula in week three against the New Orleans Saints 
ultimately you were placed on IR. How is the leg at this point? It's rehabbing really well. It's rehabbing really well. I uh, about eight weeks out, almost nine weeks out from surgery. Um, okay. So I actually got a chance to to walk a couple of days ago. I saw the doctor and he cleared me to walk. So I'm walking in my boot now, which is great, which is a huge improvement. Now talk about the rehab process. How difficult has that been for you mentally? Yeah, well, rehab is not easy. Anyone that's had an injury or uh, you know had to, had to go through rehab, they know it's not easy. And so. Uh, you know, the hardest part for me, like you said, has kind of been realizing I'm not playing the game. I remember when I actually got injured in the, in the uh, Saints game, they took me to get an x-ray in the x-ray room, and then I was on a cart, and I was about to head back out on the field, obviously with the boot on and crutches just to see the guys. And, uh, I mean, everything kind of flipped at that point. It seemed like I was watching a video game. I was looking at Drew Brees okay. drive against, against our defense. You know, these are like my, my boys, my teammates. I've been, I've been grinding with these guys for, I mean, three years now, you know, my third year in the league, and it just right. seemed like it wasn't real. And so the hardest part has been realizing, coming to the realization that, you know what, I'm not going to play, I'm not gonna be able to play this year. But, um, by, uh, you know, I've got it, by the grace of God, i got a chance to make the most of it, you know, even though I've been injured. Now, look, going back to that situation, you, I heard you say that you were very, very emotional when you found that, that you broke your fibula. Take us back to your emotions at that moment. Yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, I didn't know what exactly had happened. It was in the third quarter. I just sacked Drew Brees. Um, I was, you know, killing the offensive tackle. So I was in the zone. And uh, next thing you know, somebody fell on, somebody got hit, and they fell on my leg and uh, got carted back to the x-ray room. They did the x-rays. And at that point, they still weren't 100% sure, um, you know, because the doctor who looked at it wasn't our official team doctor. So he said, hey, you know, it doesn't look good. You're not going to be able to finish the game. You know, it looks like it's broken, but I wasn't going to believe it because I was like, until, you know, I'm a man of faith. So I was like, man, until God says so, I refuse to believe that kind of deal. And uh, I remember going back, we went back, the game ended, and we ended up losing. And uh, I was in the training room, and like I said, the first doctor who said it, he wasn't our official doctor, so I was like, I don't really know you that well. I'm not trusting your words. And uh, I got back in the training room, and our, our team doctor and our team uh, trainer, our head trainer, Tom Reed, um, I looked at him, I said, hey, Tom, so what's the word? You know, i got to go back to Arizona and really get our x-rays, right? Like, that's what we'll find out. He said, no, Sam, we know now. I was like, what do you mean? He said, we know now it's broken. You're going to be out at least 12 to 16 weeks. You're out for the year. And I just wow. broke down at that point. I just completely just broke down because it's almost like you all these dreams and these hopes and these goals, and they all get shattered. Um, so it was tough. It was tough. But thankfully, um, since then, I've really tried to, to make the most of my of the free time that I have, you know, I've been doing a lot of stuff here in Phoenix in the community. Um, okay, just, you know, almost suffering with the city, if you will, you know. So there's a lot of homeless <laughs> shelters and uh, going to you know hospitals and just really doing some cool stuff that I wouldn't be able to do if I didn't get hurt. Now, you talked about how God and religion is a big part of your life. Did you question God on any level after this injury? Well, it's funny because uh, a lot of times people, you get an injury like that or if your dreams or your hopes get shattered, a lot of times you'll ask, well, why? Why, God? Why me? Why would you do this? Um, and I didn't ask that question. You know, I've, I've been through a lot, and one thing I, I stand on is my faith. And there's a verse that says Hebrews 11.1, 1, and it says, uh, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so um, there are things that I can't see that are going on in the background in my favor. There's also a verse in Romans 8, Romans 8, 28, 
it says that earth in Romans 8, it says all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And so, like, I love God. I follow Jesus. And so I'm like, I believe that all things are working together. And so my question wasn't why God, why would you do this? It was like, okay, God, this happened. Now I want to make the most of it. What, what do you want me to do with this was my question. And so, um, mm-hmm. through, I mean, an answer was I want you to, you know, to, to, to your, use your suffering as a beacon of hope for people, you know. And so, I mean, a lot, you know, people look at Christianity or religion and they say, well, it's all roses and, you know, you know all that kind of stuff. It's like, no, the Bible talks a lot about suffering and going through some hard times. And, like, that's what, right. you know, if you are a follower of Jesus, that's what Jesus did. He suffered. Like, he died on a cross. Like, people were, he was laughed at, beaten, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so it's like no servants greater than his master. So I looked at this. I said, okay, what do you want me to do? And I feel like the answer was I want you to suffer with the city of Phoenix. And that's what I've done. Like I said, I, I spent some time in this uh, uh, school for autistic kids called St. Dominic Savio, and I spent time there, and it was awesome. And I, okay. You know, that, you know, a couple of days ago we were doing going out and feeding the homeless and uh, just all these, you know, going to the Phoenix Children's Hospital is one of the best hospitals in 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 the country, and so um, and all these stuff I w- I would not have been able to do if I would have still been playing, and so I never I never did I question God. I said, all right, what do you want me to do with this? Because I believe um, that this is all working together, even though I can't see it. We're talking to Cardinals linebacker Sam Acho. And, Sam, have you been able to stay around the team a little bit? Yeah, I have. So um, it's cool. I go to, you know, I'm at at all the home games. um, And we had a couple guys that got hurt that are injured on IR. So we all watch the games together. And then probably about two or three times a week I'll still go up to the locker room and just hang out with the guys, you know. Like mentally, the biggest difference when you're not playing and you are and you're not only physically but mentally. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're, you're working with these guys. You're grinding. You're, you know, slaving with these guys. And all of a sudden you're removed from that, and, you know. So um, I've been able to go back. I'm there about three times a week. I actually saw some of the guys yesterday, and we were uh, – I've got a chance to catch up with them. Everybody was happy to see me. They all said, man, I wish you were still playing. We need you out there. But, hey, we're winning, man, and I'm happy. And you look at you guys right now. You're 6-4 and four, coming off a win against the Jacksonville Jaguars. A lot of people outside your locker room are surprised by your team's play. Talk about the play of your team to this point. Yeah, well, the thing about our team is that we're resilient, and we the thing about us is, like, we win close games. It's kind of the team that we are. You know, we're, people call us a second-half team. I mean, if you look at the stats of our defense, you know, you know, we're one of the top defenses in the, you know, in the NFL, but our mm-hmm. second-half defense is out of this world. You know, it's like it's, you know, I remember we, I think we have about 41 yards total in the second half of last week's game against Jacksonville. And so – if you look at it, we're a team that wins close games, and that's kind of what we do. We fight. We stay in it. Um, you know, when you look at 80% or 70-something percent of NFL games come down to three points or less. You know, you take it to four points, it gets even higher, you know. So those close games, that's what, we, that's what we've been able to do. We've been able to win those close games, and that's what has, that's what has us at 6-4 and four right now. And you look at you guys, you're on a three-game win streak, but some would question, okay, you're on a three-game win streak, but you beat the Falcons, who are a bad team at this point, the Texans, a bad football team, and the Jaguars, who are a bad football team. Tell us why you guys are legitimate playoff contenders. Well, yeah, well, it's funny because people, people say that, but then you look at, you know, we beat the Panthers. The Panthers are, what, on maybe a five-game or six-game win streak, and uh, we beat the Panthers when they had a healthy O-line. Their O-line isn't healthy right now. You know what I mean? So, you know, we, you know, it, people are saying they're one of the best, you know, they're battling with the Saints. 
you know, we, we beat them. And, now, you know, so the bottom line is uh, it's the NFL, and it's not easy to win in the NFL. I don't care who you are. I don't care what is going on. It's not easy to win in the NFL. And so, you know, whether you're beating, you know, Jacksonville, whether you're beating Houston, whether you're beating Carolina, 49ers, whoever it is, like it's not easy to win. And those games come down to two or three points, four points at most, right. most of the time. And so um, you've got to be resilient. You've got to be confident. And you've got to be a team that wins close games. And the Panthers are on a six-game win streak, to your point, so they are playing some big-time football right now. Your your coach, Bruce Arians, is facing his old team, the Indianapolis Colts, tomorrow. Arians knows a lot about that Colts offense and also knows a lot about the Colts quarterback, Andrew Luck. That has to be an advantage for you guys. Your thoughts? Oh, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, it's a big – every game is a big game, and but this game is big because, I mean, it's B.A., it's Coach Arians, and, you know, we, we love B.A., we're behind him. That was going back to his old team, and so uh, it's going to be it's going to be a blast. I mean, Andrew Luck obviously is a great quarterback. We we believe we have a great quarterback in Carson Palmer. Um, we threw for over 400 yards last game, and so it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle, and it should be a big time battle tomorrow. We're talking to Cardinals linebacker Sam Ocho, and you know you were around the facility yesterday. Did you get the sense that this game means a little more for Arians, a little extra for Arians? To be honest, I did not get that sense. I was talking to some of the guys. I was talking to uh, Fitz at, towards the end, and I saw okay. B.A. walking out. And he was laughing, joking. You know what I mean? He, did, it's, he okay. was the same old self. There was no – he's not a guy that gets nervous. He's not a guy that, you know, that gets worried. He, he, he believes in what – he believes in the process. He always says, trust the process, and he believes in the process. So, as I saw him walking out, he was laughing, joking, you know, cracking – you know, he cracked the joke we were walking out. So, um, no, he's not nervous at all. Now, looking at this game, what do you feel like you guys need to do to beat the Indianapolis Colts tomorrow? Uh, I mean, we got we got to stop luck as a defense. I'm, I'm a linebacker, so I think I think in, <laughs> from a defensive mindset. And so, right. I mean, Andrew Luck is a, he's a really good quarterback. Um, he's smart. He's athletic. He's fast. Like people don't think, people don't give him enough credit. He's a good quarterback, and so we're gonna have to shut him down from beginning to end. Definitely, and it's going to be – and the one thing about the Colts, this is a team over the past few weeks, they haven't been getting off to very good starts. So then you, you look at it and you say there's a possible opportunity early in that football game to get out early on this team, and we'll see what happens tomorrow in Arizona. Now, Sam, you have a celebrity fundraiser coming up on December 9th. You're looking to raise, raise funds to build a hospital in Nigeria. Tell us about this big-time event. Oh, definitely. Well, it's on Monday, December 9th. It's here in Phoenix at the Ritz-Carlton. And what it is, it's, uh, it's a one-of-a-kind event. It's, it's a celebrity auction and fashion, and, uh, fashion show. And so uh, what we do is I bring local celebrities, you know, obviously guys on the team, guys from the Diamondbacks, um, Suns, even, you know, local singers. There's a girl who was from Phoenix. She was on The Voice. She's going to be there. Um, okay. The local celebrities, we basically auction off our time and our talent in order to raise money to build a hospital in Nigeria. My family and I, every summer we go to Nigeria and we bring doctors, nurses, surgeons, dentists, ophthalmologists, and we go to a rural village and give free medical care to people in need. And uh, so we go there, we spend about two weeks there, but the thing is we leave and there's still thousands of people that, weren't, that we weren't able to see. You know, we see six, 7,000 people a year, but there's still thousands that we can't see. And so the goal now is to actually raise money to build a hospital in Nigeria, a permanent hospital. Um, you know, the goal we need to raise $2 million, and that will actually build it and, and uh, 
you know, fill it up. We're already on the process. We've bought the land. We've we've cleared the land. You know, we surveyed it. So now we're just waiting on the funds to actually build. Um, and so for the event, it's on December 9th. All the information, just go to my website, you know, samacho.com, um, and you can get all the info on there, um, not only about the event, which is on December 9th, but also if you just want to help support the ministry and support what we're trying to do is go to samacho.com. Here there's a huge link that says, help me build a hospital in Nigeria. Click on that. You'll see, um, you know, Living Hope Ministries, which is kind of, you know, the ministry that my parents started over over in Nigeria, and um, that's the goal. We're trying to raise money to build this hospital. And literally it's awesome because we have people waiting uh, to help us out. You know, they're like, we have, you know, local hospitals say, are saying, hey, we have this equipment that we can put in the hospital once you get it built. And local doctors are saying, hey, we, we want to, you know, I've got from Florida, from Texas, from, you know, Arizona, from New York, and they're all saying, hey, we want to come. Once you get it built, let us know. We can go there and just spend a couple weeks at a time. And so that's the goal, We're trying to build a hospital, um, samacho.com has all the information about it um, and the event locally here in Phoenix on December 9th. But also for people who aren't in Phoenix and you just want to give, you just want to support the ministry, go to samacho.com, click on that link, and you'll see a link to Living Hope Ministries, which is, uh, which is the ministry we use to, to help people in need. Fans, go to samacho.com and support some of the great things Sam Acho is doing in his community. Sam, Pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do this again. Oh, definitely, definitely. Thanks for having me. Take care. Yeah, you too. Sam Acho, linebacker, 40 Arizona Cardinals. Arizona Cardinals have a big football game tomorrow coming up against the Indianapolis Colts. Cardinals right now 6-4. and four. They're right in the hunt for the playoffs. They're right in the hunt for the wild card spot. So they're there. They're right there. So you look at the Arizona Cardinals now, and tomorrow's going to be big, and you want to continue your winning ways, and you want to see if you can catch the San Francisco 49ers and also the Carolina Panthers. And let's go to the Carolina Panthers. This is a team on the six-game winning streak. I had Charles Johnson on uh, a couple weeks ago, and I asked Charles, and I should have, we should have, we'll see if we can get the interview, but we had Charles Johnson on a few weeks ago, and I asked Charles point blank in terms of, you know, what we're going to learn about the Carolina Panthers. And I told Charles, you know, we're going to learn a lot about the Carolina Panthers when you play the, the 49ers and the New England Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons, that three-game stretch. That is where we're going to find out a lot about the Carolina Panthers. And I think we have found a lot about – excuse me, we found a lot about the Carolina Panthers out right now. I mean, look at this football team. You know, you beat the Atlanta Falcons – Atlanta Falcons, not a very good football team, and that's so surprising, but they're not a very good football team. But you go on the road against the San Francisco 49ers, you beat the 49ers, and then you come back after that big-time performance and beating the Niners, especially on the defensive side of the football. You come back, and you go up against Tom Brady and New England Patriots, and you beat the Patriots 24-20. And obviously there's a little controversy surrounding that 24-20 victory. You had the whole situation. Was it a pass interference call? Was it not a pass interference call? I look at the play a couple times, and after looking at it a few times, it's a lot closer than many uh, think it is. I know the, the, one of the officials for the NFL came out and said that it was the correct call, and who knows if he's protecting his officials, who knows if he's protecting the league, who knows. But the reality is he came out and said that it was not pass, it was pass interference. Excuse me, it was not pass interference. But I look at it. I look at it, and, and, you know, initially you look at it and you watch it. It seemed like pass interference, and you look at it again, it's close, 
it's close and it's close. But at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, that looked like pass interference or defensive holding. It looked like something. It didn't look legal. How about that? And I don't know how you could determine that ball would not be able to get to him. I don't know how you can see that. That, that was close. It was close, and I, I thought the call should have been made, and I thought it was a bad call. I thought it was either P.I. or holding. You pick. You decide. Reality is if it's holding, it's five yards. You still get another play. If it's pass interference, you get the ball at the one. Regardless of that, you still get another play. And who knows what, have, what would have happened with another play. But you look at this football game. You, you, you look at the Carolina Panthers. You look at Cam Newton with that big-time drive to put his team in position to win the football game. You look at that Carolina Panthers defense, which has been big-time throughout their winning streak. I mean, that defense is big-time. And, you know, they're, they're getting some big-time play from their defense. They really are. I mean, they're, they're fifth against the pass and third against the rush. So they're getting it done. They're not letting you run the ball, and they're not letting you pass the ball. So you're not having much success against this Carolina Panthers defense. And you look, and I was saying, you know, during this win streak, during this six-game win streak, I looked at the first three, Minnesota, at Minnesota, St. Louis, and Tampa, obviously not impressive football teams there. But then, but then you look at the next three, Falcons, 49ers, and Patriots, and you say, wow. You beat those teams. You go to San Francisco and beat the 49ers. That's impressive. You beat the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. That's impressive. Now, this team has six games left, and it's a very manageable schedule. Dolphins, Bucks, Jets, Falcons, and the Saints twice. So it's, an, it's very manageable. This is very manageable. Now, uh, you know, you look at the Saints, obviously, you have them twice, but the good thing about having the Saints twice is you have them twice in a three-week span. So you have Saints sandwiched in between a game against the Jets. So to me, that's to your benefit. That's to your benefit, I think. That at least, in my opinion, assures that you get a split. And that's what you want against the Saints. That's a very good football team. You want at least a split. But the thing about it is, and, you know, right now they're, they're trying to go for that division. So, I mean, they're 7-3, and three, Saints 8-2, and two, and they're going for that division. You look at that division now, there is opportunities for the Carolina Panthers. On some level, you control your own destiny based off your schedule and based off playing the Saints twice. You control your own destiny. You control your own destiny. Saints are now 9-2 and two after beating the Falcons. But if you win tomorrow, you're 8-3, Carolina. And at that point, five games left, two against the New Orleans Saints. You sweep the Saints and you handle your business with the other football games, guess what? You can not only win the NFC South, but you also have an opportunity, who knows, home field advantage, who knows what the Seattle Seahawks are going to do. They're 10-1 at this point. But you at least Assure yourself that bye. So you get yourself a bye. So the Carolina Panthers, with that defense, and if Cam Newton continues to contribute the way he's been contributing over the past few weeks, with that defense now, you're a viable contender. You're a viable contender. And they played the Seattle Seahawks earlier in the season, 
in a game that they probably should have won. They probably should have won that game against the Seattle Seahawks. Now, the thing about the Seattle Seahawks, if the Seattle Seahawks have home field advantage throughout these playoffs, they're going to be tough to beat. And I think we almost have to hand, I, I, I almost think we have to say that the Seattle Seahawks are going to get to the Super Bowl if they get home field advantage throughout the course of these playoffs. I, I mean, I don't see how else that would, I mean, this team is a totally different football team on the road, on at home, excuse me. And they've been a good team on the road too. But at home, this is a totally different animal. This is not the type of animal you want to go up against. I mean, 5-0 and at home, and they're also 5-1 and on the road. But they're 5-0 and at home. Darn near unbeatable in Seattle. That 12th man is big for the Seattle Seahawks. And let's look at their final five. New Orleans at San Fran at the Giants, Arizona, and St. Louis. You look at that schedule, three of those games are against teams with winning records. And who knows what the Giants will be at that point. But it's not an easy schedule for the Seattle Seahawks. So it's, it's, it's conceivable. It's conceivable. And obviously if they tie, if the Panthers tie with the Seahawks, the Seahawks have the advantage because they beat them head-to-head. But it is conceivable. Just looking at the two schedules, that Carolina could, I mean, obviously they would have to sweep, and obviously they would need Seattle to lose three of their final five. Three of their final five. And two of those final five are at home for uh, Seattle. So it's going to be different, difficult, excuse me, three of those five are in Seattle. It's going to be difficult to see the Seahawks losing four of those football, three of those five football games, three of those final five. I don't see it. I don't see the Seahawks losing three of those final five. You've got three home games. I guess the Saints are going to be difficult. Home, way, or what have you, it's going to be a difficult, difficult football game. But it's going to be an interesting final few weeks of the season. And you look around the National Football League, RG3, Robert Griffin III, not a good week for him. Not a good week for RG3. I mean, watch them last week against the Eagles. Watch them closely last week against the Eagles. And I still don't like what I see. I don't think he's 100% yet. Um, He's moving out of pocket. He's not staying in the pocket and not doing the things necessary. I I mean, he's been inaccurate. I mean, he had a touchdown the first quarter. Uh, he missed his tight end pulse, and he was wide open. Missed him. Missed him. And RG3 has just been erratic. And, you know, he had a furious finish there, put his team in position, but he threw an awful interception. I mean, he was trying to get the ball out of the end zone, but, I mean, he, he couldn't get it out of the end zone. He just so it just threw, up in the, threw it up in the air. Brandon Boykin picked it off for the Eagles, and that was the ball game. And then he had another instance there in that game where, he was in the pocket. He had the Redskins down the score, close to the score, and he was in the pocket. And he knew he held the ball a little too long. He got hit, fumbled the football. His helmet flew off. Eagles picked up the fumble, and they took it from there. But you, you look at RG3, I mean, he's been inaccurate. Um, he, he's just not the same player. That offense, in terms of their passing game, just does not look very sharp. So 
And then you have Santana Moss coming out and, and saying that RG3 needs to take more responsibility for what is going on, take more responsibility for his play. And he's right. RG3 does take need to take more responsibility for his play. His play has not been very good throughout the course of this season. And I said it. I said it at the beginning of the year. RG3 was going to have a step-back type season. I also said Adrian Peterson was going to have a step-back type season. Well, I, I think I'm right on both of those calls. RG3, you know, you can't. Let, I mean, Adrian Peterson, we, we, we look at his comeback and what he did. He came back and from the ACL injury, put up 2,000 yards, and, you know, that's not the rule. That's the exception. I say this all the time. So we can't expect RG3 to come back from in, in eight months from a complete knee reconstruction and be the same player. That's not possible. That's asking something of him that is not always doable. So RG3 now is having struggles. RG3 now seemingly is not the same player. And now, instead of being loved and being called a leader and being called all these great things, now there's whispers in the locker room that instead of players calling him RG3, they're calling him RG me. So RG me, I guess, in a lot of ways, RG me is selfish. RG me is out for me and him. And RG3 is out to make his situation better. He's out there, you know, commercials and documentaries and things of that nature. I don't really begrudge, excuse me, begrudge the guy for trying to uh, strengthen his brand and, and increase his brand and make his brand better. I don't begrudge a guy for that at all. Why not do it? You only have a short window to make X amount of money in the National Football League. There's going to be a time when people are not even going to care about RG3 or RG Mate or whatever you want to call them. But RG3 right now has not been a good run for him. And you wonder what's going to happen. What's going to happen with, with Shanahan, the Shanahan clan, the Kyle Shanahan, the offense coordinator, and then RG3? What's going to happen there? What's going to happen with Mike and Kyle? Or are they going to be let go? Is it going to be a situation where uh, Daniel Snyder says, you know what, you can stay, Mike, but your son has to go? Is it going to be that situation? So it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to happen moving forward. You get the sense that all is not well between the Shanahan's and RG3. You get that sense. Just back to everything that's happened with the injuries and, and you know, when he's going to come back, if he's going to come back, and things of that nature. But I look at this whole situation with the Washington Redskins and, and RG3, I don't think we should be surprised that he's not having the same type of season he had a year ago. I mean, and also, let's be let's be real about some things. He is a young player. And, you know, you can't expect a young player to miss the whole preseason and, and be able to come back right away and be the same type of football player. You can't expect that for You can't expect that to happen. You can't. You know, I'm under the belief that possibly maybe Kirk Cousins should have I mean, and I don't. Here's the thing: I don't think RG3 was going to let. I don't necessarily say let, but RG3 was hell bent on playing week one. 
That's what he was planning on doing. That was his goal. That was his mission. I don't think anything was going to get in the way of that. And RG3 is the franchise. He he is the franchise for the Washington Redskins. You built that team around RG3. All your marketing is towards RG3. I mean, you, you know that you got a big-time African-American population in Washington, D.C. you got an African-American quarterback who's playing big-time football. I mean, it, you know, RG3 could run the District of Columbia. I mean, he really could. He could run that city. That city could be his. You know the Redskins are big-time in Washington. And, you know, big-time in Washington with the Redskins. And then you have a quarterback who's African-American. I mean, it would be the perfect scenario in terms of RG, even for the Redskins for that matter, and RG3 in terms of marketing, in terms of popularity. I mean, RG3 could run the District of Columbia, could run it, could absolutely run it. But RG3 has to better play, play better football, and he has not played good football throughout the course of this season. It has to get better for RG3. It has to get better. When we come back, we're going to talk the N-word and the National Football League. We're going to talk N-word, National Football League. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... I just that doesn't mean anything when the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you. you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can kept marry women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. <laughs> we see what you can do. We've seen it. <laughs> I would never bring my wife around too. I yeah, just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's early. <laughs> That's not Roxy. <laughs> That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're Thanks. very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> so- and we're back this week, and then we're sticking with the Washington Redskins Eagle game. We're going to stay on there. Well, you had the situation with Trent Williams. Offensive tackle for the Washington Redskins and Roy Ellison, the uh, umpire in that particular ball game. Um, what came out was, you know, apparently Williams said that Ellison walked by him after a play and called him a garbage, disrespectful mf'er. A garbage, a disrespectful mf'er is what Roy Ellison called Trent Williams. Well, according to some sources. Williams was accused of using the N-word towards Ellison in that particular game. The N-word. We all know what that is. Williams was accused of calling Ellison the N-word. And that led to Ellison saying some of the things that he said. And also Williams said to Ellison, F you, and called him the N-word. After Ellison had told him and warned him about some of the language that was being used between the two players, the between the players and between the teams. Um, obviously, this is a situation now. Um, you know, we've heard the issues. You yeah, had Matt Barnes coming out with the N-word on Twitter. 
talking about his teammates. You also have Richie Incognito and Jonathan Martin and N-word being used on the voicemail. And now you have the situation with Trent Williams and Roy Ellison, and Ellison will be suspended one game. And I look at it this way. Um, it's almost like this. It's almost like Ellison, and you can understand Ellison going back at Trent Williams. You can understand it, definitely understand it. But it's almost like this. As a referee, you're almost like a school teacher. And in some level, if a, if a kid as a school teacher were to curse at you, you almost have to eat it. You know, you almost have to just deal with it. You almost have to live with it because you have to set the example. You are in charge of enforcing the rules as a school teacher. And as a referee, you are in charge of enforcing the rules on a football field. So it's almost like you almost have to eat that. You almost have to eat that. And maybe you could have thrown a penalty. Maybe you could have did something. But you almost have to eat it. And, you know, I understand why Roy Ellison went back at him. And Trent Williams denies saying those things to Roy, I mean, to, to Ellison at this point. But I can understand if it went down the way Ellison said it went down, I can understand Ellison going back at Trent Williams. I can get, I get that. I get that. But as the referee, your job is to set the example. Your job is to almost be like a school teacher. Again, in a classroom, if you're a teacher and a kid curses at you, guess what? You can't curse back at the teacher. You can't do it. So you almost have to eat it. You almost have to have a thick skin. I mean, I guess if it was the NBA, you would have gave him a technical. But you could have gave him an unsportsmanlike foul, penalty. You could have threw the flag for an unsportsmanlike conduct. You could have did that. But Allison didn't do it. I guess Allison handled it the way he wanted to handle it. And he has been suspended for a game. And now you have the Fritz Pollard Alliance. And this group promotes diversity and equality in the National Football League. So the Fritz Pollard Alliance now is coming out, and they're saying now, you know, the NFL and the players need to be, you know, need to to, to watch their use of the N-word. And so, I mean, it's it's something that we'll see what happens moving forward. But I will say this. I mean, if if we're, I don't want to compare the the, the N word to uh, the F word in terms of a gay slur, but you know the N word and the F word, I I don't think they're they're equal in terms of the amount of uh, what's the word I want to use the amount of, of of uproar when each of these words are being used. Um, you know there there was I think there was much more uproar when Kobe Bryant called the referee. The, the F word in comparison to what Matt Barnes said the N word on Twitter. And it could be based off the, the superstardom of Kobe, Kobe Bryant being a superstar and Matt Barnes being a role player. That could be it, but I don't think so. I, I don't think so. And I, and I believe that, you know, and a part of it also is this. I mean, yes, you know, as an African-American and being around fellow African-Americans, you know, you hear the word more often than you should. But at the same time, I will say this, you know, homosexuals can use the F word amongst homosexuals and they'll be fine. And black people in a lot of ways believe they can use the N word amongst black people and it will be fine. But I will say this, you know, the NFL football field, that is, that is, you know, that's a corporation. The NFL is a corporation. And so, you know, when you can't have it. You can't have it. 
And if we heard the F word used in a way that the N word is being used, at this point in time, at, in this day and age, there would be a different type of uproar, I think. So, and, you know, I think at this point something should be done. I, I think at this point you can't, I can't call, if I'm in an office, and I'm amongst my boss or in a meeting, I can't call anybody the N-word. can't do it. And I don't want to compare an NFL locker room to an office because it's night and day. But my point I'm trying to make is it is a corporation. And, you know, it is a corporation at the end of the day. So you got to be careful in terms of the type of language you use, more so in office than in the NFL. But at the same time, at the same time, I think players – should look at themselves and, and say to themselves, you know what, could I use this word less? Could could I do a better job of not using the word? And, and I think they would all say to themselves, yes, I could do a better job of not using that word in public, in a locker room, on the field. I think that's definitely something that's doable. We'll see what happens moving forward. I want to go to Alex Rodriguez now. And this this fraud, and I'm going to come out at it. He, this fraud. Now, this Alex Rodriguez story, he, he walked out of the, the arbitration hearing like a two-year-old, like a baby, slamming his hands on the, the table, like a two-year-old, like a baby. And, you know, I mean, it's this this fraud. I mean, every, I, I don't know. I mean, this is the thing with Alex Rodriguez, and I don't blame him for doing what some of the things that he's doing. He has a lot of money. He has a lot of resources to continue to fight and continue to fight MLB. I get that. I understand that. But everybody rolled over. Everybody that was on the list rolled over. You're the lone guy out there still trying to fight MLB. Again, I don't blame you. But at the same time, at the same time, what are you doing? What are you doing? I think the longer this charade goes on, the more A-Rod looks like a fraud. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's similar to, to, to Roger Clemens, and uh, ultimately, you know, Clemens was able to do what he had to do in the court, so on and so forth. But let's be honest. The court of public opinion believes that Roger Clemens juiced. The court of public opinion. I believe he did. I'm not saying he did. I just believe he did. I, I believe he did. Can't say definitively, but I believe he did. The court of public opinion believes that Roger Clemens did. The court of public opinion believes that Alex Rodriguez did what he was accused of doing, and that's juicing. The court of public opinion, I think, is what Major League Baseball at this point. So what is Alex Rodriguez going to do? Does he take it to court? If he takes it to court, there's always the possibility that a whole bunch of other things may come up. Because we all know definitively. And at that point, Alex Rodriguez is under oath. So now, you know, you're, you're opening up another can of worms if you're not telling the truth under oath. But Alex Rodriguez now, we all know he has admitted to using steroids many years ago for a three-year period. He's admitted it. He's put it out there. But he initially lied. He initially lied about it, but he put it out there. He put it out there. In 2007, he denied it. 
2009, he changed his tune. But Alex Rodriguez, at this point, I think this is laughable. I, I think him running out of that arbitration hearing is a ploy, a game, all. I mean, it, it's just a ploy. It's just a ploy. But the reality is, is reality is reality. Everybody else rolled over. Everybody else rolled over. So if everybody else rolled over, then what makes Alex Rodriguez different? What 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 why is he innocent? Ryan Braun, a big fraud himself, rolled over. He rolled over. The thing about Ryan Braun in comparison to Alex Rodriguez Ryan Braun's much younger than Alex Rodriguez. So Ryan Braun still has a lot of baseball to play. He has a lot of baseball to play. He has a lot of baseball to play. He's young. A lot of baseball for Ryan Braun, 30 years old. So he has a lot of baseball left. Conversely, Alex Rodriguez, he's not a spring chicken anymore. He is not a spring chicken 20, excuse me, 38 years old. So there's not a lot of baseball left for Alex Rodriguez. Just not. Father time loses to no one. So if you're Alex Rodriguez, again, I I said this before, I'll say it again. Why not fight this? What do you have to lose? You have resources. You have money. You have a lot of things at your disposal that you can use to fight Baseball, Bud Silic, and everybody involved. Why not do it? And I know A-Rod was upset that, that Bud Selig did not testify, but Bud Selig hasn't testified in any of these things. So that's not something that's uncommon. Alex Rodriguez, this is all a game. This is all a ploy on his part to, I don't, I don't know what he's trying to do, maybe sway public opinion in his favor. But he has nothing to lose at this point. And, you know, maybe this goes to court, maybe it doesn't. And if he's prepared to do that, if he's prepared to go to court, now he's going to have to do some things under oath. And and now you start doing things under oath. And, again, as I said, that changes things. You start doing some things under oath, things change now. Things change. Now if you lie, guess what? They can come after you. Nobody wants the feds in their backyard. No one wants the feds anywhere around them. So that's something for Alex Rodriguez to think about. And again, maybe all these things are just a scare tactic But Alex Rodriguez, all a ploy. Who knows? But here's one thing I do know. The longer this goes on, I think the worst it looks for Alex Rodriguez. I think everybody is not – I think it's very obvious, very evident that everybody in the court of public opinion, I won't say everybody, but a good portion of the court of public opinion is not on the side of Alex Rodriguez. The public opinion is not on this side. The public is not on this side. I think the public sees right through him and right through this. I think we all see right through it. Alex Rodriguez, a fraud, 
as far as I'm concerned. And I don't under, I don't blame Alex Rodriguez. I don't blame him. You see this 2013 salary, 28 million, 2014 salary, I should say, $25 million. You see his 2015 salary, $21 million. You see his 2016 salary, $20 million. You see his 2017 salary, $20 million. So there is a lot of millions of dollars still slated to come after or come, come there's a lot of millions still slated to go into the, the bank account of Alex Rodriguez. A lot of millions out there for him to get. A lot of millions. So he's looking to protect his $100 million next, nest egg that's coming his way. I don't blame him. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So I don't blame this guy for fighting. I don't blame this guy for continuing to do what he has to do to protect his money. I don't think it's about his name at this point. I don't think it's about his reputation because I think all those things are, are sullied. But I think it's about the money. I think it's about the cash. I, 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 that's what it's all about to me. The legacy is his legacy. I mean, I don't really think he cares about that at this, at this point because I think his legacy is tarnished. You have to question his Hall of Fame credentials at this point. You know, he was a no-brainer a few years ago for the Hall of Fame. No-brainer. Now, after the accusations, and well, after him admitting that he juiced for three straight years and then these accusations as well, I mean, now, again, there's no telling if he ever played a clean inning of baseball in his life. That, that, that's the biggest question that might be out there. Has Alex Rodriguez ever played a clean inning of baseball in his life? And what I mean by clean, steroid or PED free. Has he ever done it? That's something that needs to be answered. And that's something I guess ultimately that will be answered over time. But Alex Rodriguez, A-Rod, you're still a fraud. You are still a fraud at this point. We'll see what happens. The arbitrator is scheduled to rule in January, so we'll know in January whether or not Alex Rodriguez will be suspended. 211 games is expected to come his way. We'll see if, if those 211 games will come his way. Another couple minutes left in the show. Again, we still haven't heard word about Derrick Rose in terms of whether or not he has torn his ACL. And that's going to be a big story today going forward. That's going to be a big thing going forward in terms of what happens with Derrick Rose, and whether or not the ACL has been torn. Crossing her fingers, saying her prayers, and hoping that Derrick Rose will be okay. And a lot of people in the NBA are supporting Derrick Rose. Roy Hibbert came out tweeting on his Twitter page, excuse me, sorry to hear about Mark Paul, D. Rose, and Andre talking about Andre Iguodala. Thoughts go out to y'all. The three of you make the league so much better. Speedy recoveries, please. 
So a lot of players coming out in support of Derrick Rose, and we'll see what happens with Derrick Rose today. I want to thank Sam Macho for stopping by. Make sure you go to SamMacho.com and support some of the great things Sam Macho has going on in the community. This guy is doing big things in the community, so please support some of the great things he has going on. also want to thank Devin Alexander, a friend to the show. Big fight December 7th against Sean Porter. Make sure you watch your showtime or make sure you head out to Brooklyn and support Devin Alexander. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash vegan, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at go for again For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great week. See you later. Take care. Bye.